You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. All right, good morning, Radiant Church again. It's so good to see all of you on this amazing Sunday morning. If you're new, welcome here to Radiant Church. My name is Marco. I'm the lead pastor here. Thank you for making Radiant a part of your weekend. Today we are in part number pastor here. two. Thank you for making Radiant a part of message weekend. That we have Today we are in part number two. Thank you for making Radiant a part of against the forces of darkness. Against the forces of darkness. As a part of our series. We have included a spiritual inventory. What is a spiritual inventory, you ask? Well, in this case, uh, there are 12 questions that we have on our website, radiantbc.com. You can download the PDF. We may have a few hard copies left over in the back as well, right out on the uh, outside of the double doors. But you can go to radiantbc.com and download that today. There are 12 questions to go through. We recommend taking your Bible, Um, taking a journal or a notebook, spending some quiet time with the Lord. You can go through this with a spouse. You can go through this with a trusted friend. And what this will do as you go through the Bible passages, as you answer honestly these different questions, listen, you will be able to hopefully evaluate the level of spiritual warfare that you may be facing in your life right now. And so go to radiantbc.com, right on the homepage, scroll down, you'll see the icon behind me, click on that, and there will be a PDF to download and do that today. Hopefully you will find that helpful, and um, you'll be able to do that this week. All right, well, today, listen, we're back in Ephesians chapter 6, and last week we started there. It's the, Ephesians is this letter that the apostle Paul wrote, and the big idea that we learned last week was this, is that there's always something you can't see influencing what you can see. There's always something you can't see influencing what you can see. In other words, listen, I said it like this last week, there is a war going on behind the war. So what we see and what we experience is we experience um, these physical battles, um, temptations, Arguments, divisions, um, yelling, maybe screaming at each other, disagreements, all of those types of things. And yet there's something else. Paul wants us to see that there's something else going on behind the scenes, influencing things that we, that we can see. Now, our real enemy, we also learned, our real enemy is not people. It's not people. Now, we love to blame people, don't we? I love to blame people, and you love to blame people. But here is the truth of God's word. God's word tells us that the real enemy, listen, is not the flesh and blood, or is not flesh and blood, I should say, but the real enemy are three different things, or three different fronts that spiritual warfare is carried out on. Number one, the devil. The devil and his lies, right? The the devil is a liar. So the devil and his lies. Number two, the flesh. What is the flesh? Well, if you weren't here last week, I described the flesh. It's not blood. It's not muscles and bones. That's not what the flesh means when it comes to the New Testament. The flesh is referring to, listen to this, the disordered desires that live on the inside of each of us. Disordered desires that live 
on the inside of each of us. Finally, our third sort of enemy is the world. The world. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean like trees and rocks? No, that's, that's not what that means. The world shows up, I think, about 186 times in the New Testament. Here's what the world means. When the New Testament writers use that phrase, the world, what they are referring to are systems that are set up against and opposed to God. In other words, we can think of it like this, a sinful society that normalizes and celebrates evil. That is the world. The world is a sinful society that normalizes and celebrates evil. And so we wage war on three different fronts, the devil, the flesh, and the world. Paul says that there's actually a hierarchy of evil spirit beings who oppose God's people, and they want to stop the will of God from being done here on the earth. So listen, long story short, we have a very real enemy who opposes us. Now today, I want us to learn how we can, be, how can, how we can begin to take the offensive against the enemy. And we're going to do that by finding our strength not in ourselves, not in our own education, not in our own abilities, but listen, in the power of God. In the power of God, Paul says that we do this by what? By putting on the full armor of God. The full armor of God. Now, most commentators and scholars agree that when Paul talks about the full armor of God in this passage of Scripture, he is most likely referring to different passages of Scripture in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Isaiah, specifically in the book of Isaiah. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of references. We're not going to look at them right now, but I would like you to go back and to read those references. I think you'll find them to be quite fascinating and illuminating. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4, verses 4 and 5. Isaiah 11, verses 4 and 5. Isaiah chapter 52, verse number 7. Finally, Isaiah chapter 59, verse number 17. I'll say them really quickly one more time. Isaiah 11, verses 4 and 5. Isaiah 52, verse number 7. Isaiah 59, verse number 17. Excuse me. Now, if you go back and you look at these passages, what you'll find is that each of these passages portrays our Lord as a warrior dressed for battle, fighting on behalf of his people. It's pretty fascinating, pretty amazing. So scholars agree that Paul is probably referring to these passages in the Old Testament, but he also had in mind the armor of a Roman soldier, which is, which by the way, his audience would have been very, very, very familiar with, okay? Now, if you have a Bible, I would love for you to follow along because we're going to look at um, seven different verses today. Uh, we're going to begin in verse number 10, but we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to begin in verse number 10. We'll have the verses behind me for you to follow along, but here's what they say. Paul is the writer in this letter. He says this, finally, right, finally. He's getting ready to end this letter, to close the letter. Finally, don't forget, Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Remember, 
schemes is, um, it's like methods, tactics, okay? That sort of thing, strategies. Satan has a strategy when it comes to trying to defeat you. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Paul says, in light of these things, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, because it will come, you may be able to stand your ground. Stand your ground, Paul says. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then. And here, here he begins to list the different uh, items, the articles of the armor of God with the what? The belt of truth buckled around your waist. We imagine this, build, this sort of uh, buckle. I'll show you a picture in just a few more moments. With a breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Okay? So these are five defensive weapons and two offensive weapons. Let me go through those quickly. Here are the offensive weapons. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet that are prepared with the gospel of peace. That's number three. Number four, the shield of faith. Number five, the helmet of salvation. Number six, these are two offensive weapons are, number one, the sword of the spirit, and number two, prayer. Now, we won't cover prayer today. We'll focus in on the other actual items of the armor, but prayer is obviously extremely, like, vitally important to all of this, Right? Now, these are metaphors. These are metaphors for spiritual resources that we have access to that have been given to us because of our position in Christ. Now, these aren't necessarily, you know, you don't have to wake up in the morning and pretend like you're putting on a helmet or like, I'm taking up my breastplate of righteousness now and getting my sword out. Not necessarily. If you do that, hey, that's fine. You know, go ahead and continue doing that, I guess. But these are actually metaphors for spiritual resources that we have been given and we have access to in Christ, in Christ. And I'm going to go through each of these items this morning, and we're going to talk about the significance of what they mean for us in our battle against a devil who hates us, who wants to destroy our lives, who wants to kill our families, who wants nothing to do with us. How do we take these weapons uh, and practically apply them to our lives? We're going to find out today. Before we do that, let's pray. Lord, we love you. You are good. You are good, and your mercy endures forever. Lord, you brought us back to life as Sarah uh, just got done singing a few moments ago. Lord, we were dead in our transgressions. We were far from you. Lord, we were in darkness. We couldn't see anything. We were blind. We were deaf. We were mute. And God, you sent your son Jesus uh, on a rescue mission from heaven. Jesus takes the wrath of God in our place. He goes to the cross, takes the punishment that we deserved, and in our place, he dies the death that we deserved. And we give him our sin, and he gives us his righteousness. Today, Lord, would you, would you um, begin to, to, to reveal yourself 
in a powerful way today. Lord, open blind eyes. I know not, not everyone in here this morning is following you. Lord, would you unlock deaf ears? Would you soften hearts that have been hardened because of the circumstances, maybe because of an addiction, uh, because of a habitual sin, whatever that might be, Lord, soften hearts. Lord, restore and heal marriages today, this morning, Lord. If there are couples fighting and arguing right now, I pray that they might reconcile Lord, by the end of the day. Lord, for those who have been unfaithful, they've cheated on their spouses, Lord, I pray, I prayed this earlier today, um, Father, would you cause a great conviction by the Holy Spirit to come upon them and repentance, full repentance and full restoration of that marriage. I just felt compelled to pray for marriages this morning, marriages who have been married for 12, 15, 20 years, who uh, have lost the flame, so, so to speak. God, would you restore marriages. God, would you call prodigal sons and daughters home? Lord, the, the son that, that is wayward now, he's not following you. The daughter that has gone far from you. Lord, we did our best to raise them up the way they should go, and yet still we see the enemy has a hold on them. Lord, right now, would you, would you call them back home? Sons and daughters, come back home, we pray. All of heaven hears our prayers. Sons and daughters, come back home. You know where you're supposed to be. You know that where you are right now is death. You know where you are right now will not lead to life. Sons and daughters, come home. We pray, God, hear our prayers. Let all of heaven hear our prayers. Parents in here are longing for sons and daughters to come home. Their hearts are grieving, God. Their hearts are heavy. Lord, hear our prayers this morning. Sons and daughters, come home by the Spirit of God. Sons and daughters, prodigals, sons and daughters, open eyes, blind eyes open right now. Spirit of God, Come on, church, pray with me right now. Spirit of God, move in families. I know that there are some parents in here whose hearts are aching for their son. They're caught in death. They're caught in darkness. The devil has chains on them. God, release every chain, Lord, every chain, Lord. That, that relationship they shouldn't be in right now, release them from that relationship, God. Eyes opened, Lord, every chain broken, Sons and daughters, come back home in Jesus' name, amen. Woo, what happens when you get into a prayer meeting in the middle of a Sunday morning? All right, well, let's waste no time to get into the armor of God. The first piece of the armor of God is the belt of truth. I want to show you a photo of what that may have looked like for a Roman centurion, for a Roman soldier. I want you to notice that this belt of truth was a leather belt. It was... Uh, with an apron that sort of hung on, hung um, in front of it, and it covered up the Roman soldier's groin area and his lower abdomen. And there were also small brass plates. You can see those attached to the apron to provide the greatest possible protection. Now, uh, think about this for just a moment, church. At first glimpse, a belt doesn't seem very important, but how many husbands in here, how many husbands have ever forgotten your belt on a vacation? Raise your hand. If you've forgotten your, God bless every single godly wife in here that has reminded their husbands, honey, did you pack your belt, right? Belts are so important because if I don't wear my belt, my, my pants start to sag a little bit, then my shirt's going to come undone, and I just look like a hot mess, right? Just disheveled, un unorganized, inappropriate, right? We need belts. And for the Roman soldier, here's the thing. The, 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 this belt that they used, listen, held everything else in place. The belt, everything held everything else 
in place. It was actually said uh, that the loin belt was the most vital part of all the weaponry that the Roman soldier wore. Now, this is the belt of truth. So I want you to think about this first resource that we've been given in Christ. Church, listen to me. The first resource that we've been given in Jesus is the truth of God. The truth of God. We know that Satan is a liar. If you didn't know that, um, thank you. You're welcome, right? Satan is a liar, but a believer whose life is controlled by the truth will be able to defeat him. Amen? Okay? He's a liar, but the believer who lives controlled by the truth, not every believer, but the one who's controlled by the truth, will be able to defeat him. Here's the thing. We all know this. We live in an age where so many people are confused. Have you noticed that? So many people are so confused. Have you seen the media clips, the social media sound bites? The, so the many people, people in politics, so, they are confused. So have you seen the media clips, confused. the social media sound They have lost their way. They have no idea what is up. They have no idea what is down. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've noticed this. It is quite disturbing, right? We live in a day, listen, where people claim to have their truth. I have my truth. You have your truth. That's what so many, I don't believe that, but so many people believe that, right? Truth is said to be relative and unique now to each individual person. You can have your own truth. I can have my truth. I guess that's the way it's going right now. But can I just tell you that the Bible teaches otherwise? Okay? The Bible is counterculture. So listen, Jesus said himself, he said this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Jesus did not, he never claimed that there were multiple ways to the Father. Jesus never claimed that there were many ways or many truths. Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus is the word made flesh. Why is it Jesus? Well, that just seems so narrow-minded. That just seems oppressive. That just seems patriarchal. All those things, all the labels that we're hearing today. I, I, I don't know if I buy that. Well, Jesus is the only one. He was the only one who lived a sinless life. Who Jesus is the only one who solves the sin problem. Okay, He's the only one. Now, a lot of people will tell you there, there is no problem with sin. But there is. That is the problem, right? That uh, Just a few days ago, um, we were reading Revelation uh, chapter 20, 21 with my daughter, and my son was really, he was really engaged, and we talked about new creation and when Jesus will return. And I told my, 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 my son and my daughter, I said, everything evil and bad comes as a result of sin, rebellion against God. I said, this is the reason why we have cancer, why we have wars in Ukraine, why, why, it's the reason why we have COVID-19, it's the reason why we have other, um, other despicable diseases, it's the reason why men and women kill each other, it's the reason why there's more divorce probably in the church than in the world, it's the reason why families are falling apart, it's the reason why so many have lost their ways, it's because of sin, and Jesus is coming back, honey, I told my daughter, he's coming back to, to, to right every wrong, to eradicate sin forever. Listen, and to throw the devil into the lake of fire. Now, I love what my, my five-year-old son said this to me. He said, Daddy, I think that Jesus might cut off the, the devil's head just to, just to make sure he's dead. I said, you know what? It doesn't say that, but you might be right, son. I hope so. I hope so. Right? And so listen, 
we don't live by multiple truths. We live by one truth, right? One single truth, okay? We not only need to know the truth, that is Jesus, of course, and his word, we must begin to apply his truth to our lives, right? Because listen to this, church. To believe a lie is to be, is to be deceived, okay? To believe a lie is to be, de- to be deceived. Nobody wants to be duped. Have you ever been lied to? It doesn't feel good. Like, it just doesn't feel good, right? You feel like you've been duped. You feel like you've had the wool pulled over your eyes. It does not feel good. But to be lied to, to believe a lie, listen, is to begin to believe something that is false or untrue or unreality. Satan loves to deceive, okay? He loves to deceive because he's a liar. Now, there are two types of lies Satan loves most. I think you should write these down. These are pretty important. Two types of lies Satan loves to tell. Number one, Satan loves to tell us lies about ourselves. Okay, church? Satan loves to tell us lies about ourselves. And number two, Satan loves to tell us lies about God. This is the problem in the Garden of Eden. With Eve, Satan comes to Eve. Hey, did God really say that? I don't know if he said that. Listen, God doesn't really want your best, Eve. You're a woman. You need to be liberated, right? And you need to just kind of do you, boo-boo. And you don't need any rules, You don't need anything holding you down, right? You just need to be F-R-E-E, free. And you can't have that with God. You can't have that with God. He's just trying to hold you down. He wants to put you in chains, and Eve's like, huh, I wonder, huh, can I begin to trust the character of God? So the devil loves to lie to you about yourself. He loves to lie to you about the nature and the character of God. Church, you may not realize this, but can I just tell you, lies influence behavior, Lies, I'm about to drop some bombs on you today. Just get ready. Lies, good ways, good ways, okay? Lies influence behavior. There's always corresponding actions that come from the belief of a lie. Someone say amen. All right? Think about these common lies that so many people believe. Some of you probably believe some of these right now. Here they go. Number one, lies that so many people are not good enough. Some of you probably believe some of these, not good enough, I don't add up, not attractive enough, I'm a loser. Number two, God is not for me. God's not for me. Number three, here's a, here's a prevalent one right now in culture. I don't need God to be a good person. Ooh, okay. I don't need God to be a good person. And I understand how people can say this because sometimes many unbelievers can be nicer than Christians, right? They're less judgmental. They, do, they give more financially. So some unbelievers will, will say, I don't need God to be a good person. Number four, I'll never, never get over this addiction. You fill in the blank. Alcoholism, anxiety, depression, my anger. And so you believe the lie. And then you manifest that lie by what? By practicing whatever you're believing. I'll never get over my alcoholism. Pass me another Bud Light. Number five, I'm just a burden to everyone. I'm just a burden to everyone. Number six, I've made too many mistakes, right? I've made too many mistakes. How is God ever going to use me? How is my life going to be turned around if I've made so many mistakes? Number seven, I'm a complete failure. 
I'm a complete failure. Number eight, I'm not worthy to be loved. That's a prevalent one in our culture today. Can I just tell you this? If you're in the middle of a divorce, if you're... Um, if you just got divorced, this is one of the lies that the enemy comes after you with. You're not worthy to be loved. But can I just tell you, let me remind you right now that if you're in the middle of this right now, can I just remind you that your value does not come from what a man has said about you. Your value does not come from what a woman did to you. Your value does not come from what someone has said or just done to you physically even. Listen, your value comes from Jesus Christ himself. That's where your value comes from, right? Number nine is a prevalent one. Number nine, the spirit of suicide. I would be better off dead. No one's going to miss me. I just should end everything right now. Prevalent right now in our culture. Number 10, God doesn't have my best interest in mind. Another lie. Can I just ask you this morning, are you believing any of these lies? Listen, the truth is your weapon against all of the lies of the enemy. And Paul says that if we want to be battle ready, we must, listen, use the truth to combat the enemy's lies. And we do this not because this is our own clever idea. We do this because this was Jesus's tactic. This was Jesus's method of battle. Jesus shows up in the wilderness. The devil's there. The devil tempts him three different times, and three different times, Jesus responds to the devil, it is written. I know what, you, I know what you're saying, devil, but this is what God has said. And here's what God said. God said, listen, that heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will last forever, right? And so the, and so the devil comes at Jesus saying, hey, if you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. If you'll just do this, if you'll just do that, hey, you can have this. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Listen, it is written, and he uses the word as a weapon. So when Satan comes to you, church, listen, and he says to you, you're not worthy to be loved. You're not worthy to be loved because of your past. You're not worthy to be loved because of what that person did to you. You can remind him, I may feel this way, but let me just tell you, Satan, Romans 5, 8 says otherwise, that God demonstrates his love for us, that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. Right? Despite what we feel, because feelings are king in today's culture, right? We go with our feelings. Everybody is about their feelings. I feel this way. I feel that way. Therefore, I am. And the Bible tells us otherwise. Listen, God has proven his love for us on the cross. When the devil comes to your household knocking and he says this to you, God is not for you. God is not even for you. You can remind him of what God has said already in Romans 8, 31 and 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? God did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. Will he not graciously give us all things? Paul says, God, the Father, gave up his one and only son for us. If he gave that most precious thing to us, will he not give us all good things? Graciously, he's a good father. 
He's a good father. And you may not feel worthy. You may not feel lovable. Listen, but our feelings say one thing, and God's word, let me just tell you, tells the exact opposite of that. So you have to make a decision. Will I be ruled? Will I follow? Will I... Um, participate with every feeling that I have, or will I rather read God's word, open the Bible, and begin to claim these truths for my own life and then walk them out? Right now, are you believing a lie about yourself? Are you believing a lie about God? I want to encourage you to stand firm with the truth of God and begin replacing every lie with his truth. We can only take our stand against the devil by knowing and applying God's truth in our lives. You can only do battle with the truth that you know, because if you don't know the truth, listen, it's like having a gun and the intruder comes breaking into your door and you have no bullets. The ammunition is in another room, right? And you say, well, I have the gun, but you have no ammunition. Listen, you can only wage war and do battle with the truth you know. You know. You can't just say, well, I've been a Christian my whole life. And my mama went to church, my daddy went to church, and my grandmama went to church too. I don't care about that. I care, are you being grounded in the truth of God's word, right? The next piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness, you can see the picture. Um, this piece of armor was made of these metal plates and uh, these chains, and it covered the body from all the way to the neck, all the way to the waist. And a Roman soldier would, of course, wear, wear this to, for protection in battle. The breastplate of righteousness. Our key resource here is righteousness, okay, church? Righteousness. Now, it symbolizes two things. It symbolizes the righteousness that we have in Christ, that Jesus has won for us. It also symbolizes the righteous life we ought to live in light of that. Two different things. Number one, it symbolizes the righteousness that we have in Jesus. And number two, it symbolizes the righteous life that we ought to live by because of that truth. Now, one of Satan's most common tactics is to remind the believer of how wicked we are and how much we failed God. That is one of the number one tactics of the enemy. The believer's job is to combat every accusation, every accusation with the truth of God's Word. Now, I want to show you a passage of Scripture where, ta where Paul talks about this righteousness that's not his own, okay? It's not his own. It's not our own either. It's Jesus' righteousness. Philippians 3, 8, and 9, the apostle Paul writes, what is more? He says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Paul says, I've, I've, I've lost everything for Jesus I consider them garbage or refuge or like dung, really, literally dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. That little phrase, in him, in the Greek, um, or in Christ, en Christo, it's a, it's a phrase used often by Paul to, to talk about our new identity that is found in Jesus he says, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that comes through what? Faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of what? Not my performance, but by faith. If it was based on our performance, we would have lost it a long time ago. When Satan accuses the Christian, it's the righteousness of Christ that accuses the believer of his salvation. 
I'm sorry, it's the righteousness of Christ that assures the believer of his salvation. The life that we live now practically either fortifies against Satan's attacks or it makes it easier for him to launch an attack on us, okay? Now, in other words, let me say this. Here's the other side of this. Without practical righteousness in our daily lives, without it, listen, we become vulnerable to Satan's attacks. Here's what I'm trying to say. If you're here today and you're in Christ spiritually, right? That is your position spiritually. However, you're not living in Christ by actions. You're out of the will of God. Therefore, listen, you can pray against the enemy until your face turns blue, but the problem is it's not going to do a whole lot of good against this tactic. Why? Well, your, your life is, here's the will of God, your life is outside of God's will. And so in, in, in order for you to, to align with his will, you need to repent of your sin, and there needs to be a change, amen? There needs to be a change in your lifestyle. Until you turn away from sin, make a conscious decision to follow him, you won't see a change in your life. You'll want a change, okay? You'll want a change, but, but you won't get it. Unfortunately, as a pastor, here's what I've observed over the last 15 years, and it's true of myself, so I'm not putting anyone on blast, but this is true of myself as well. For many people, for many believers, there is a disconnect between, listen, this is really important, between where they want to be and where their actions are currently taking them. Come on, someone say amen. Come on, this is really, really important. This is going to be a revelation for some of you this morning. There is a disconnect for so many believers between where they want to be and where their actions are actually taking them. I see that over and over. I've been praying, Pastor Marco. That's fantastic. But what are your actions doing? What are your actions doing? Have you ever heard the phrase, hell is paved with, uh, what is it? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. You can have all the good intentions you want and it won't make any difference. The question you have to ask yourself is, what path are my decisions taking me right now? Okay? There's a disconnect for so many believers. And I want to remind you that you've been given, listen, you've been given um, the Holy Spirit to empower you to live righteously for God. You can do the right thing. You can choose what is good over what is evil. You can why? Not in your own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Holy Spirit. The next piece of armor is feet prepared with the gospel of peace. Feet prepared with the gospel of peace. You can see this um, behind me. You can see this sandal that the Roman soldier would wear. And on the bottom were these studs or these hobnailed, a hobnailed sandal, they would call them. And that was to have a firm foundation so that the soldier would stand securely during battle or wouldn't get knocked down. They would have a, a firm stance in the middle of their war. Now, Paul says, this is feet prepared with the gospel of peace. So the element that we're accessing here is peace. Peace. What does Paul mean here? Two different things, at least. Many scholars and commentators say that he probably means the peace of God, the peace of God. Paul says the peace of God transcends all understanding. Amen. That is known as a spiritual calm that comes over you in the middle of a storm. Okay? Number two, we have peace with God. You see the difference? There's the peace of God. There's also peace with God. What is peace with God? Well, peace with God is simply this. The enmity, the hostility between us and God 
has been broken because of the sacrifice that Jesus took on the cross of Christ. Scripture tells us that every person on the planet has fallen short of the glory of God, and therefore, we have a debt to pay. We could no longer, we could not pay that debt because, we're, because we could not pay that debt. What we had coming, what we were deserving of was the wrath of God, the wrath of God, because God is holy. He is not like us. He's completely holy, beautiful, pure light. We are not like God in the sense that we sin. Even, we, even when we're made new, we still sin occasionally, right? We still have maybe um, unhealthy thoughts occasionally, but, but God is pure light. But Jesus steps in and takes the punishment that we deserve, goes to the cross. Listen, and now we've been reconciled to the Father, and now there's, we have peace with God. It's a beautiful thing. Romans 5.1 says this, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Okay? So we have that type of peace. It's, it's amazing, peace with God. Let me also talk about this idea um, of the peace of God. The peace of God. Again, this is the peace that God gives, this sort of tranquility, a spiritual calm in the middle of our trial. Have you ever had the peace of God come over you in the middle of darkness? Anybody? Yeah, say amen if you've had that. Have you ever had the peace of God come over you in the, in the midst of a trial? Right? You, were, you were thinking to yourself, I don't know how this is all going to work out. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to find the money for this. And all the while, there's a peace that comes over you. There's a, a confidence that says, Lord, you're going to take care of this. I don't know the answers, but I know you're with me. The peace of God. Mark chapter 4 talks about this story, and the, the disciples are out on the water. They're out on a boat, and the storm, a violent storm comes up, right? The waves are crashing, and, you know, there's probably lightning striking. There's thunder. The waves are starting to overtake the boat, and the disciples are just, I mean, they're frantic. They're flipping out. What is Jesus doing on the boat, though? He's sleeping. He's just taking a little, you know, little cat nap or whatever, probably dreaming about hummus maybe. Who knows, right? And the disciples are just freaking out, and they start to, can you imagine? Can you just, just visualize this with me? They're starting to shake Jesus, like, Jesus, wake up, wake up. And they say to Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we drown? Well, the scripture tells us in Mark chapter four that Jesus actually stands up, and what does he do? He speaks to the storm. He says, peace, be still. And what happens? Well, here's what Mark reports. Mark reports that the wind ceases, and it becomes what? Completely calm. Completely calm. Have you ever experienced a calmness like that in the middle of a storm? That's the peace of God that transcends all understanding. I want to tell you a quick story of my own life. In 2012, we had moved to Grand Rapids, and we came from this, uh, we were in ministry, and we came from this vibrant community of believers. We had all these people surrounding us. It was a great time for my wife and I. We moved to Grand Rapids so I could attend seminary, and during Christmas break, we came back to this side of the state so we could visit like our family, and we went to Midland and Saginaw, and Carrie's parents live in the Thumb area, so we spent time with them. And then for New Year's Eve, though, we decided that we were going to go back to Grand Rapids and spend New Year's Eve there. Well, when we got to Grand Rapids, when we, when we finally made it back to her brother's house, um, we had zero plans, zero plans for New Year's Eve. 
And can I just tell you that this loneliness came over us like we've never experienced in our lives, right? I've had this maybe a handful of times. Maybe you've experienced this as well. Have you ever had a loneliness where you felt like it was a dark cloud just looming over your, your head? I have. I don't know about you, but I have, right? I've experienced that before. Maybe you don't want to admit it, and that's okay. But we experienced this loneliness that could only be described as, as this black cloud. It was so heavy between my wife and I that we sat together and we cried, all we could do was weep. Why? Because we were so lonely. We had left all of our acquaintances. We had left our community, and we had nothing to do on New Year's Eve, and we felt completely abandoned and lonely. And then out of the middle of nowhere, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, a friend of mine named Ben um, from seminary gives me a call. He says, hey, are you doing anything tonight? I'm like, nope. He says, you want to come over? I'm like, Yes. He's like, me, I'm at, we're having, uh, me and my fiance, we're having a party, and a bunch of us are, are going to be there, probably 15, 16 of us are going to be at our house, at my house, He's in, and we'd love for you to come over, bring a dish to pass, we're going to eat, we're going to hang out, it's going to be a great night. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, absolutely, that, that would be awesome, thank you so much. So, and he only lived like maybe six minutes away from, from where we lived, so it was perfect, and so that night, we, we got some food, and we took it over, and we came into this house. We didn't know most of the people there, but they were all incredibly welcoming and loving, and we had, we put together all these tables together, and we had this giant spread of a feast, and we all ate, and our hearts were so full of joy and gratitude and life and love, and we couldn't believe it. We were, we were making friends, and we were talking. Everybody was so kind to us, and we had such an incredible time, and we left the house a little after midnight just praising God and thanking God because the peace of God, listen, that transcends all understanding had come to us in the middle of our storm, in the middle of our storm. And maybe you have a, a story like that. Maybe it's even worse. Maybe you were going through a darker time of death or divorce or someone abandoning you or someone rejecting you or someone hurting you physically. And even though it's a terrible, terrible circumstance, the peace of God comes over you telling you it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. I'm with you. God reminds you that he is with you, right? And so we have two types of peace. We have peace with God. Romans 5 speaks about this. But we also have the peace of God, the peace of God that comes to us in the middle of our storms. The fourth piece of equipment, or armor, I should say, is the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Here's a picture of what a shield might look like for a Roman soldier. Verse 16 says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which we, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, check this out. Roman soldiers, they would have these arrows, and they would dip them in a flammable substance. They would light them on fire, and then, of course, shoot them at the enemy. If you got shot with a flaming arrow, what would likely happen? You would catch on fire. Now, if they shot like a structure or a building, that building might catch on fire. It was used to inflict the, uh, the most amount of damage possible. Not only were you pierced with an arrow, but you would catch on fire. Can you imagine that? How horrific is that? This is what Paul is saying that Satan is like. Satan, in the same way, shoots fiery darts and arrows at who? At us. He shoots them at our hearts and our minds. The Bible tells us that faith, we have a shield of faith. What is faith? Faith is the certainty of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. 
We need to remember, though, that faith is simply not intellectual assent. Faith is not simply, listen, church, it's not just saying, I believe in God. That's not really faith. The Bible actually says that faith is always accompanied by what? An action, a corresponding action. In fact, some translation says works or deeds. James 2.17, you can read it yourself. James, you know this verse. James says, listen, that faith without works is what? Is dead. Faith without any corresponding action is dead. It's not, it's not there. It's not real faith, correct? So what is faith? Well, faith is ultimately trust. It's trust. It's not just an intellectual assent. It's trust. And here's the thing. When we trust something or someone, it causes us to live our lives differently. Amen? When we trust something or someone, it causes us to live our lives differently. Therefore, here's what Satan wants to do with your life. Satan is always looking for a way to break trust between you, with you and God. He wants you to break trust. He's trying to break trust between you and God because Satan knows that if you won't trust God, you'll live your life differently. You'll live your life differently, right? Because why? What we believe have, has consequences. That's why when we stop trusting God, what will we do? We start trusting our money more. We start trusting in our relationships. We start trusting in the government. We start trusting in whatever it is, right? We will put our trust into something or someone else. Why? Because you have to. We're all creatures of hope. We're looking for hope. We're grasping onto something. Listen, if you don't have trust in God, you will trust yourself or something else. We're made in the image of God, right? And therefore, listen, we're, we're, we're designed to be filled with hope, to live with hope. Here's what I've discovered. Listen, if you want to practice faith, it's not just a matter of what you believe up here, but how you live down here. If you want to practice faith, listen, it's not just a matter of what you believe up here, but what you live down here. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Oh, come on, someone that will preach. One more time for the people in the back. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. What's that mean? Faith with corresponding actions, right? With corresponding actions. Listen, I, I love you, but again, there's often a disconnect that we sometimes experience between what we believe and how we live. Some people will say, Pastor, I'm believing that my marriage is going to be the best it's ever been. Well, if you truly believe that your marriage is going to be awesome this year into next year, here's what that will mean. That will mean that you will invest, you will invest time, money, and resources into that marriage. You will plan the weekend getaway. You will go out to the outback and get a steak with your, with your honey pie, right? You will have a date night, right? You will begin to invest. Come on, nothing screams love like a nice T-bone at outback, right? Love is in the air, right? Some of you are looking at each other like, honey, you want to go to the outback for lunch? Right? Some people will say, listen, I want God to bless my, my, my finances, but you'll continue to withhold the tithe. Now, you're believing one thing, but you're doing something quite different. Right? Some people will say, listen, pastor, I'm believing Jesus this, this year for, for better health. Hallelujah, I'm going to lose some weight. And I will like, sister, amen. Brother, amen. I, I am for you. I'm rooting for you. But when you continue to eat McDonald's four times a week, there's a disconnect. Listen, but it's a Diet Coke. I don't care. 
It's still a Coke, right? And so listen, there's a disconnect between what you believe, what you have faith for, and what your actions are actually doing. And so many people say, I just want, a, I just want a, a, a great relationship. I just want a, this kind of person. I just want to do this. And yet, all their actions are leading them down a path in the complete opposite direction. And then when they get to that other destination, they're like scratching their head. How did I get here? I, I wanted this. I prayed for something different. It's your actions have led you on a path apart from where your destination is, okay? So listen, is there an area in your life where you've stopped trusting the Lord? If that's you this morning, listen, have the Holy Spirit examine your heart today, and if so, I want you to take up the shield of faith. Okay, how do I do that? Well, place your trust in Jesus, listen, and let there be accompanying actions as a result. Don't just say, I trust you, Jesus. Now you need to take action. How so do you trust me? He will ask you. How so do you trust me? Oh, you just say it with your words. Okay, there's a lot of people doing that. Okay, all right. I've seen that before. How much do you trust God? Do you actually trust him to do the thing he's commanded you to do? How much do you trust God? The fifth piece of armor is the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. 17 says this, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Let's talk about the helmet of salvation quickly here. The helmet of salvation is most likely this reference to the assurance of our salvation in Jesus Christ. So when we put on the helmet of salvation, what that literally means is to live in the knowledge and the assurance of the truth that there's nothing Satan can do to alter or undermine the fact that we are saved. Here's what Paul says. You don't believe me? It's Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay? Finally, there's the sword of truth. The sword of truth. Go ahead and put that image up there. We're going to wrap up in just a few minutes, I promise. The sword of the spirit, I should say, sorry, refers to the word of God. Now, the Greek word for sword there is referring to a short sword, which was about uh, 12 to 14 or 16 inches long. It was used in a closer, more like a hand-to-hand combat, right? And this is the way that we wield our sword as, or yield our sword, wield our sword as well. There are three ways in which we do this, okay? Three ways in which we wield the sword of the Spirit. Number one, we proclaim the Word of God with our mouths. Very, very obvious, right? Number one, we proclaim the Word of God with our mouths. Number two, we pray God's Word. Open up the Psalms, begin to pray Psalm 27 over your marriage, over your spouse, over your kids. And number three, we praise with the Word of God. We use the Scriptures to praise God with our mouths. This is the way that we wage war very practically against the enemy. Now, I want to just remind you, we're going to close here in just a minute. I want to remind you as we close, though, that the devil, listen, the devil has limited power. The devil is not omnipotent. Only God is omnipotent. The devil has only the ability to do what God allows him to do, because God is sovereign. He rules sovereignly over all of creation. The devil is not omnipotent, but God is. God is. And therefore, our victory, of course, is in Jesus Christ. I want to remind you of that. And so 
We wage war by remembering and accessing, let me just review with you quickly, the resources that we have in Christ. Number one, the truth of God. Number two, the righteousness of Christ. Number three, the peace of Christ surpasses all understanding. Number four, faith in Christ. Number five, salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Number six, the word of God, right? Jesus is the word. He's the word made flesh, and his word is true. His word is the sword of the spear. Now, before I close, I'm gonna ask you four different questions. And these questions are gonna help summarize and bring further examination into our hearts today and maybe this week. So number one, go ahead and put those questions up. Number one says this, have you decided to live your life based on the truth of God's of God from his word? Have you decided to live your life based on the truth of God from his word? Or are you living out lies? Are you following lies? I can't answer that for you. You have to answer it yourself. Number two, in what ways are you striving to earn God's love and his righteousness? Many, many Christians, they strive to earn God's righteousness. Can I just tell you, it's been given to you in Christ. It comes by faith in Christ, not by works, not because of what you've done, right? You, you can't earn his righteousness. You can't earn the love of God either. What it requires is faith in Jesus, a surrendering to God in Christ. Number three, where do you need the peace of God most right now? I wanna ask you that question, and I want you to pray about this this week. Where do you need the peace of God most right now? Remember, the peace of God will meet you in the middle of your darkest storm. And if you ask for it, he will give it to you. And it's a weapon that we have against uh, all of the tactics of the enemy. Number four, finally, is there, is there an area in your life where you've stopped trusting God and Satan has broken your trust of God? Okay. Is there an area where you stopped trusting God and now Satan has broken that trust? How do you know? Here's how you know, by your actions, by your actions. Think about, you, this is why you need to go before the Lord. Take your Bible, maybe um, some quiet time, a quiet place. Begin to ask the Holy Spirit, God, is there places where I'm not trusting you right now? How so? He'll reveal to you actions that you're not participating in or you are participating in, depending on what that looks like for you. Listen, you'll know because of something maybe you stopped doing. You stopped sowing into relationships. You stopped sowing into community. You stopped doing these certain things with family, right? What is, it, what, what is it telling you? It's telling you that you stopped trusting God and you're trying to do it in your own strength. Here's what 1 John 3, verse 8 says. It says this. John is writing, of course. He says, the reason the Son of God, or the one, sorry, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And notice how he ends this verse. The reason the Son of God appeared was to what, church? To destroy the devil's work. Jesus appeared to destroy the devil's work. When Jesus came and he was born, right, as a baby here on the earth, he put an entire wrench in the devil's plans, right? Jesus came, and he came to destroy the devil's work. Jesus came to liberate the captives. Jesus came to set you free of your addiction, of your depression, of your, maybe your, your, your sickness, whatever it might be. Jesus came to set you free from chains that have been around your family, maybe your parents, 
Maybe your parents' sin has now been passed down to you, and now you're sinning in the same way that your parents and even their grandparents sinned. Listen, can I just tell you that Jesus came to liberate you, to break every chain from you, to make you completely free, but you can't become free until you acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, right? Submit, surrender, turn away from your life of sinfulness, turn away from rebellion, turn away from untruth, right? turn Submit, away from surrender, unreality, turn away from your life of sinfulness, the, truth, the way, the life, Jesus himself. He wants to set you free, but he can't do it unless you submit and surrender to him. And today, I'm believing that there might be a few of you, you're going to be liberated, you're going to be set free of demonic thoughts, you're going to be set free of some suicidal tendencies, you're going to be set free from an eating disorder, you're going to be set free from perhaps back pain, you're going to be set free from the transgressions that have been in your parents, in your mom's life, in your grandma's life, and the addiction that carried throughout, you're going to be set free submit to him today, right now, in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, God. We thank you that you want to liberate the captives this morning. Prayer team, you can come on, come on your way up. Lord, we love you. And today, we're going to see captives set free. Every heart, if you need prayer today, now is the time. Do not rush out those doors. Do not let the enemy lie to you and say, no, you don't really need this. What if someone sees you? You're a coward. You're a weakling. Do not let the enemy lie to you. Listen, if you need prayer, listen, come forth. I'm going to call you forth in a few moments, and I want you to come up. And today, people are going to be set free, liberated, liberated in Jesus' name. Every shackle, every chain, every bondage broken in Jesus' name. Child abuse broken in Jesus' name. Today, Lord, marriage is coming back together in Jesus' name alcoholism, depression, the bondage of pornography broken in Jesus' name, drug use, Lord, a, 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 a lack of, of believing in, in oneself, a lack of, of loving ourselves, God, broken in Jesus' name, Lord, false religion, Lord, broken in Jesus' name, Hinduism, Buddhism, broken, New Age religion and philosophy, broken in Jesus' name, witchcraft, right now, broken in Jesus' name. If you'll surrender, if you'll submit, if you'll receive prayer, if you'll come to the altar, listen, and, and look to God, look to his son, you can be set free in Jesus' name. I believe that's happening for some of you. And I'm going to count to three. I'm going to dismiss you guys. Sign up for new groups. Sign up for small groups. But I want to, I want to invite you. I'm going to pray with you. We got leaders. We got elders. We want to pray with you. This morning, do not jet out those doors if you know this is for you. One, two, three. God bless you. I release you. The rest of you, we want to pray with you. We will be here all afternoon if that's what it takes. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.